Latino Stories, Historias Latinas, es un podcast que nace del proyecto de narrativas orales de Latinos en Ohio, Oral Narratives of Latinos en Ohio, con entrevistas en español, inglés, and Spanglish. Welcome to Latino Stories. I'm Elena Fowles. My guest today is Lorianne Guerrero. Lorianne Guerrero, born and raised in the south side of San Antonio, is the author of four, four collections, Babies Under the Skin, A Tongue in the Mouth of the Dying, A Crown for Gumencindo, a collaboration with visual artist Maceo Montoya, and I Have Eaten the Rattlesnake, New and Selected Poems. Guerrero was appointed by the former mayor of San Antonio, Julian Castro, as poet laureate of the city of San Antonio from 2014 to 2016, and poet laureate of the state of Texas in 2016. Bienvenida a este episodio, Lorian. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Lorian, tell me a little bit about growing up in San Antonio. Um, well, <clears throat> I was, I grew up about four miles from where we're sitting right now, mm -hmm. uh, south of here. And um, I grew up on a big piece of property where our family's house was and my grandfather's house was. So I, I grew up a country girl growing up with my grandfather. Um, and while my family, uh, you know, were not formally educated, they, my grandfather, my grandparents were among the smartest people I knew. And so I grew up with stories and history and um, learning how to do things and make things. And I think, you know, the hearing those stories growing up was sort of the catalyst for me becoming a writer, wanting to collect those stories and then, you know, sort of create my own, write down my own things. And so it was, I feel very lucky that I was, that I grew up here um, and with the people that I grew up with. So you are a writer, a scholar, and an educator. And so you just said that sort of, come, you know, growing up with those stories sort of have been, been an inspiration for you to become a writer. But was this the path you always wanted to, to take? Um, well, <laughs> no, I wanted to be a rock star. <laughs> um, I also come from, they are also musicians. But um, no, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I did. I, I think I, I wrote my first poem when I was about eight years old. But I thought it was a song. Because <laughs> I wanted to be a rock star. Right. <laughs> um, I couldn't play an instrument or anything like that. There were lyrics. And so eventually I realized, like, oh, I, it's, I'm writing poems. Um, and then when I discovered poetry as I got older, you know, in middle school and whatnot, mm -hmm. um, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. I knew that I had, I had heard um, stories told in that way before, which is sort of uh, very efficient with language. Um, and and timed just right, but that's because of the storytellers I came from. So when I discovered poetry, it was like, oh, you know, it was familiar to me because I heard it so much, um, even though they would never call themselves poets, you know. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, as I started writing things down, um, I started, I became more curious, and I think that's sort of where the scholar in me comes in. I wanted to know more, I wanted to do more, I wanted to research more. I wanted to understand why um, things were the way they were, you know. And then as I got, as I started to understand my place, you know, as a woman, as a brown woman in this community and in the country, um, I wanted to understand why, why was it this way? And so, you know, doing research, you know, and I, I, I teach and I, I study race, class, and gender, and, you know, I write about these things. And so I think as a writer, 
as a scholar and as an educator, each one sort of feeds the other. Right, mm-hmm. right. And so, and add to that complexity, right? So you bring all those three sort of identities into the classroom, I, I, mm-hmm. I assume. And to add complexity to that, as a, like you mentioned, as a brown woman, as a Mexican-American woman uh, from Texas, tell me how that... Um, what happens sort of when you when you come into a space and are fully aware of bringing all of this with you what what's the i don't know what what develops there what's what's what 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 um for example either your audience if you're in front of an audience or in front of a classroom or with other scholars how does that come through um i think it's it's interesting because um because where I was born and you know who I come from, mm-hmm. I mean, you just said you just um, identified me as a Mexican American woman. I don't identify that way. Okay. I mean, and it's I mean, and this is an interesting thing to right. me because, um, my, you know, my family's from here, somos tejanos, mm-hmm. right? And so and so growing up in that way, um, there there are borders even within each other, right? That we that I sort of had to understand why and 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 sort of navigate the spaces where um like i had to understand what it was exactly that i had to offer and right. and what um and what i had to learn mm-hmm. right and so being in that space as an educator mm-hmm. um as a writer as a scholar like all of these mm-hmm. things um it really um it sort of helps me uh, understand the histories that I was told, both in the classroom and outside of the classroom. Right. It helps me situate things, but also it cultivates empathy, mm-hmm. um, not just for what's happening right now, but for the souls that that brought me forth, mm-hmm. right? And the sort of prejudices that they had or or that they um, endured. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not really sure where I am right now on on. I mean. <laughs> Like, like I told you earlier, I was I'm working. I'm trying to finish this new book, and yeah. and so these con- these are questions constantly that I'm dealing with and constantly thinking through. Um, and I'll let you know when I have an answer. <laughs> <laughs> so if but those are the things that I'm, I'm right, constantly thinking through. Right. Uh, you said you don't identify as Mexican American. How would you identify as a Tejana? Tejana. I mean, I mean, and it's I mean, grew up in Texas, a very proud Texan, mm-hmm. right? And and to come from Texas is a very, you know, I mean, you know, right? Yeah, Texans, yeah, right? So. Um, but we are of Mexican descent, right? There's no denying that. That is who we are. But but it's interesting how the sort of assimilation that occurred um, to those, you know, when the border crossed, right? right. When the border changed, um, the sort of the mindset of, okay, you're Texan now. These generations are now Texan or Tejanos, right? Right. Not Mexico. Mm-hmm. And there was like a sense of pride about that because it's Texas. You right. know what I mean? When I went to Mexico the first time, like officially went to go, and I, and I was doing research for my new book. Mm-hmm. And it's a book on embroidery. It's not just a book on embroidery. I'm using embroidery basically as, a, as an artifact to tell the stories that I'm telling, the history of women, the mm-hmm. things that we were born knowing right, how to work with our hands, things like that. And I had gone to do research in China, um, and I studied with these women, older women, young women. There was one pregnant woman, and I mean, and 
I was, they were teaching me their techniques. Mm -hmm. And it was amazing. I mean, in their history of embroidery, 7,000 years old. And, right. you know, when I came home, I felt very saddened by the fact that my history as a tehana mm -hmm. is only, is, it's finite. It only goes back a certain number of years. Mm. Um, and I was talking with, you know, friends and elders that I respect in the community. And um, it was Juan Tejeda who's, uh, who told me, you need to go to Mexico. Mm. That's where the history is. You know, because we used to be Mexico, you need to go. And I was like, why didn't I think, why did, that never crossed my mind. Right. So in 2018, no, 2019, I went to Pátzcuaro, Michoacán, and I studied with embroiderers in Mexico. Mm. And being in Mexico for the first time, I mean, I had been on the border towns, but not, right. you know, proper, like in, and um, I wept mm. because I suddenly could see the history that I could never see right. in Texas, right. you know, and I could see just in the way that people treated each other. I felt I could see my family. I could. It felt like home, even though I, as a Tejana, as a Texan, would never consider myself. Mm. You know, and so it changed. Everything changed for me. Um, this is the new book, right? <laughs> so this is that's kind of the thing that I'm I'm sort of working through. And um, yeah, I just it's a lot. It's a lot. Right. Uh... I can see that. I can see. I can see that in in what you're saying and my students, right? Then, then even if they do identify as Mexican American, um, I had I work with students that were in um, undocumented that were very proud. You know, that came here as very young children, but still had this pride of being, you know, from Mexico. But the experience was a little different, right? This longing of going back or even just to visit, but they couldn't, right? Yeah. Um, and so there's connect this connection to Mexico while being in the States and growing up, you know, within American culture. And so I do see, I, I, I do see how that going, so going back home, and I'm doing this in quotes, right, mm -hmm. um, gives you a deeper sense of who you are, where you come from, what your heritage is, what those right. stories are connected to, right? Right, right. Because mm -hmm. right. even though, you know, like, there was no migration necessarily. Right. Um, it's, we're the same, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, and, and what that helped me understand, too, is, I mean, I, I could, I mean, I got it logically, I got it. But when I saw it, it helped me really get that, my own privilege. Mm -hmm. There's a struggle here that I will never know. Mm-hmm. I will never know that, you know? Um, and so, you know, as a, especially as an educator, right, with my students, I need to recognize my privilege here and, and honor theirs, right? Because we're all sitting in the same class. Right. Right, and so it's, it's a difficult space to navigate, but it's such an important one, mm -hmm. you know? And, and it's an honor, it's an honor to be in those spaces. Right, right. Um, Lorianne, what do you write about? What inspires you to write? And, and you're just mentioning a little bit about your, you know, working on this new book. And um, what else? I mean, is it the stories of your family, of your community? Is it what? Um, I always, I, I started writing down 
I started sort of writing the stories that I'd heard and, mm -hmm. you know, and also a lot of, even in my first book, um, they're like recollections of somebody telling a story. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So poems like that. Um, but right now, the book I'm working on, I've been working on it since about 2016, maybe, mm -hmm. 2017. Um, it's it's a whole different. I mean, I I and it, I'm gonna I'm pushing fifty, you know? <laughs> so it's like I'm I'm writing different things and I'm um but now I'm really understanding um the strength of the women in my family mm. um who were not formally educated um, but the kind of knowing that they were born mm -hmm. with and passed on without any of us knowing, you know? Right. Um, and then coming to a place in my own life where I, I got it. I got it, you know? And now I have, um, I have a 25-year-old son, 21-year-old daughter, and a 17-year-old daughter. I have one baby at home, my youngest, that's it. And things are, my life is very different, mm -hmm. you know, than it was 20 years ago. And, and, and with, this, with the lessons that, I've been giving, even um, maybe unintentionally or, or unaware, um, I'm, I feel strong mm -hmm. because of, um, specifically for this book, the women mm -hmm. that, that had to do what they had to do in order to survive the things that they had to survive and also thrive, mm -hmm. you know? And so to be in a very, very privileged um, position that I'm in, with an education, you know, um, a job, mm -hmm. you know, children who are healthy. Um, I don't, I don't, um, I didn't do that by myself. And I'm oh, very aware of that. Mm -hmm. I'm very aware of that. So that's right now, those are the kind of things that I'm writing about. Sounds like a lot of gratitude too. Yeah, for yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Of things that you know, and I do think about that, right? The the women that um, that are around me, that were with me growing up, that didn't always have um, sort of this formal education, yet they were very wise. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, and uh, you know, and and us, I think, as we get older, you you are aware of your own wisdom, right? As that that can only come with age, right? right. Uh, with um, from uh, the people that you encounter and listening to stories, listen, listening and, and witnessing others' others' lives, right? And, yeah. and so that comes with, with that. Um, Lorraine, you are an associate professor and the writer in residence here at A&M University in San Antonio. Talk to us about teaching writing um, to our mostly Latin, Latin, Latinx uh, students. How does being a Latina yourself impact the way you teach our students? Well, I think just that sort of that knowing, um, recognizing what we come from, who we come from, where we come from, mm -hmm. um, and how important it is, uh, how important it was for me to, to, you know, start dabbling in writing and writing little poems and to where it eventually became this big, the, the big revolution of my life and revelation of my life, right. you know, but I had to write through it to understand. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I have a lot of students who come in and, and, you know, I always ask, why? Why are you doing this? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I have so many who say, 
you know, I want someday, I want one of my, somebody to read one of my poems and it's going to change their life or they're going to not feel alone or they're not going to, and that's great. But that's not, I, I tell them, that's, I don't want you writing with that in mind. When you're here, you're writing for yourself. Mm -hmm. and, and, and they freak out, right? <laughs> and, and the thing is, like, you can change the world. You can change your own, right? Let's focus on this one first, this world. And so helping pull those stories out of my students and things that they didn't know that they knew, mm. right? Really getting them to sort of, um, sort of excavate and uncover who they are, mm. right? So we do a lot of heavy, heavy work in, in my class. Um, and it's, it's great. I mean, I see, I mean, it's something when you see your students walk a little bit taller, mm. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And um, say their name proudly, right. things like that. Yeah. That changes the world, yeah. right? Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm about that. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine, right, what the, what, because even if you, if, if the goal is not to be the, you know, renowned writer, there is that part of us that needs to be explored, that creative sense, that, um, that world of words uh, that are not just for reading, but for actually writing, right? And so I think about um, the spaces that I try to create, and I, I, I don't teach uh, writing per se, like, uh, you know, creative writing, but um, I allow uh, in some of my assignments for students to have that, right, to have that space to, like, really think about their stories are, are as valuable, period, but yeah. also as nurturing for yes. themselves and, and hopefully, you know, if somebody else reads it, that that would be the impact too. Um, but yeah, I like what you say, that the stories that we write should be for us first mm -hmm. um, and then think about yeah. what comes after, right? Yeah I, yeah, I mean, there's something to, um, there's something about, you know, who we are as a community and I won't get into all that, but, but um, the kinds of conditioning that we've endured and the kind of um, acceptance, mm -hmm. you know, and I think about the generations before me and I think about how um, so many of our, and I've, I mean, I've written about this, like so many of our men were humiliated in public spaces. Mm -hmm. And so many of our women were humiliated in private spaces, mm -hmm. right? This is, the, this is who we come from. Mm -hmm. And so that gets inherited too, right? These, these kinds of shame or, um, and, and there's no name for it. We don't have names for that. We don't have, you know, I didn't know what that was called, you know, before I went to school or, you know, did, studied that. Right. Um, and so telling, you know, getting students to write their own stories is about it's about flipping that you know disrupting that mm -hmm. and and honoring the fact that our our ancestors had to endure these things and we don't have to mm -hmm. right and the first thing is like naming who we are what we're doing what this is right we get to put our names we get to tell the story now mm -hmm. and I had a professor in college tell say to our class one time 
I didn't remember much of what she said, but I remember this. <laughs> she said, you tell your story or someone else will. Mm -hmm. That was it. That was it. That's all I needed to hear. Mm -hmm. And so I, I'm, I'm always sure to tell my students the same thing. I mean, and it lights a fire under you, it does. Because, right. yeah, we've had our story told by other people for so long already. It's our, it's our turn. Mm -hmm. That's what we're doing. Uh, Lorianne, can you read um, from your book, I Have Eaten the Rattlesnake? On eating rattlesnake. I remember it only once. I was small. Maybe it was the one my father shot off the front porch. Maybe it wasn't. The men stood around the fire. The women sat inside. I snaked around the men, hiding myself. Slitherer. I have seen it many times, the long stripping, one fist pulling skin, another pulling flesh, and how the kills were celebrated. Rattles and skins hung like tapestries, the innards left to wild things. When it was passed around hot from the fire, the women did not partake. I dug in, rough and curious. There was nothing more unashamed than a rattler no apology in its tongue. It would never be cute. I had to eat it. I had to know this. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, should I go on? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm just here listening, waiting. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to read one that um, President Madsen asked. Uh, commission for me when we had the 10-year um, anniversary celebration. So I read this at commencement. Between the soil and the sun. It has an epigraph. <clears throat> you cannot afford to think of being here to receive an education. You will do much better to think of being here to claim one. The difference is that between acting and being acted upon. It literally can mean the difference between life and death. And that's from Adrian Rich from Claiming an Education. Between the Soil and the Sun. This is what I want to tell you. This is yours. The air and all who breathe it. We belong to each other, you see. You need not carry the stones in your heart any further. Here, there is no paper, no number, no fight. You need to produce so that someone else will make space for you. It's the history in your hands that builds brick by brick the rooms into which you walk. We will mark the days as they come, a job lost, another child gone, lines to vote, to eat, to pay our debts, conferring as it were, temperance noted in books our people could not read, Look here, this is what I want to say. You are not here to receive your education, but to build upon the lessons distilled through generations and to give your own inherent knowing in return in the name of something far greater, in the spirit of yours and mine, whose bodies hold up the soles of our feet and whose knowing tames the quiver in our throats. Here is the lot cleared, and in its place, the documented 
evolution of our work on this land, our breath in contracts with the earth and with each other. You are the bloom that holds the root, making magic between the soil and the sun. Thank you, Lorianne. Those are powerful <laughs> poems both. Uh, um, I'm sure, did the students get this printed on their... It was in the, in the programs at commencement yeah, and stuff. Great. And it was actually, you know, I had um, my, I had this sort of cohort that sort of, when I first started, they first started. Uh -huh. And so by 2019, they were graduating. So mm -hmm. I read this at their commencement. Mm -hmm. And there were two students in particular, um, Cecilia, Macias and Sabrina San Miguel, who um, I dedicated this poem to, and, and yeah, but great. That's that's. I like the line that said, um, sort of what you were saying. I mean, it it, it it reminds me of what we were just talking about, um, sort of reclaiming right um, our story. So being active participants of our education rather than passive, right? right. Um, and, and, and all we do, uh, being right. actively aware, actively uh, participating, taking, right? <laughs> instead of just receiving, right? Which is, it gives it a different sort of um, ownership, right? Yeah. To this, mm -hmm. to this education, to this degree, to this paper uh, that documents our right. presence here, right? Um, thank you for reading that. Uh, Lorianne, what are you working on? I know that we've uh, sort of heard a little bit about the process uh, of this yeah. new book that you're, that you're working on. Um, so tell us a little bit about where you are at, what you're hoping, you know, where, when can we expect to see this? <laughs> well, um, like I said, I've been working on it for quite some time. Um, and the manuscript is called Red Work, and that comes from a type of embroidery, um, all done in red embroidery thread. Um, uh, so it's a, it's a series of poems and, and essays, little essays, um, and then there are visual poems within the manuscript. And so the visual poems are embroidered pieces. And, and it, it kind of, it has an art, you know what I mean? Like it kind of, it, it tells its own story throughout the manuscript. Right. Um, but I've got about 10 embroidered pieces. One of them is like maybe three feet by four feet. It's the wow. one I'm currently working on. It's taking forever. <laughs> so you're and, doing this yourself. Oh, yes. Oh, I, that's part of, that's wow. part of the, that's part of it. It's, yeah. and so like throughout the book, I'm talking about what, um, what we know, right, or what I know as a mother, mm. what, I, what I've inherited mm -hmm. as a mother, as a lover, as an educator, all the things, right? Um, and you know, after my grandfather had passed, um, I had gone through a divorce. Mm -hmm. My oldest moved to New York, went to school. So it was like the, the main um, male energy in my life suddenly was gone. Mm -hmm. And I knew what to do. Mm -hmm. which was strange to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it was, a, it was a very difficult time in my life, but that's when, that's when the poems were starting. And, and actually, they weren't. I, I started embroidery, and I went back to... I didn't, I didn't, know, I didn't know what I was doing. I, didn't, I couldn't write. I wasn't writing. Mm -hmm. And um, I felt the need to work with my hands, and mm -hmm. so I picked up a needle and thread, though, you know, what, what I've done since I was, I don't know, six years old or something, you know, and just started embroidering and drawing my own designs and 
trying not to be so much in my head because I was so sad. Mm -hmm. And so um, the embroidery, you know, led to a poem and then the poem led to another piece and it, it just sort of went back and forth like this until I have this project now. <laughs> um, I'm almost done with the last piece. I'm, I had given myself the, to the end of the year to finish the book and the embroidered pieces. The book is, maybe I've got one poem to edit, but the, the text is done. The, the visual embroidery poems are not quite done yet. Um, but I'm, I mean, I'm excited about it. I mean, I, I, and I haven't shared a lot of that work with, you know, I haven't published like individual poems from this manuscript, not too many. Um, so it's, this one's very, very close. Close to my heart, and it's and I and I'm scared. Like I feel scared to share it because it's so personal. Yeah, and it, I feel like I'm sharing so much of. Um, I don't. I mean, I mean, not that I haven't in my other books, but, um, like a deeper history, mm -hmm. a deeper knowing, and, um. I don't know. It's a little bit scary. Yeah. It's a little bit scary. Yeah. Would you um go back to the women that taught you some of the techniques and and gift that book to them? Yeah, of course. I mean, my mom is probably the only one around anymore. Um, and my paternal grandmother. Um, but, you know, all my all my grandmothers, great-grandmothers, Theas, great Theas, everybody embroidered. That was, you know, we all, we all did that, you know. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, I I think of yeah that uh, weaving or embroidery or things like that that come from generations and how the technique itself or the act of you know weaving or threading things it's connecting to other women connecting the stories mm -hmm. and then hopefully in the end when you're finished with this pieces there will be a sense of like different type of knowledge, yeah, right? For sure. I, you know, when I was in China, um, I had gone to this museum where I got to see one of the oldest mummies, mm -hmm. and um, and in the, I mean, you have to go through all the whole museum to get to the mummy, the last thing. But but it was all these um, textiles and mm -hmm. her. I mean, this is like four thousand years old, you know. And one of the things that I discovered in that space was that there was a a group of Chinese women from the Changsha, from the Hunan province, which is where I was, who had created their own language that could not be read by men. Mm. And they embroidered it um, and sent it in quilts and fans. And so they had their own um, sort of revolution going on here. And so I ended up studying the Nushu, which is the women's embroidery, women's language, secret language. Um, but as I was reading about this and studying this, I started thinking about the women in my family mm -hmm. and how maybe there wasn't an identifiable language, right, in the stitches that they made. Right. But there were other kinds of revolutions happening. Mm -hmm. And that was huge for me. Mm -hmm. That was a real catalyst for the the what we call quote unquote women's work right mm -hmm. and what kind of work were women really doing you know and mm -hmm. so it was really inspiring to to get anyways yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lorianne uh, gracias por esta conversación thank you thank you so much 
A todos, gracias por escucharnos y recuerden seguirnos en Facebook y de compartir este podcast con otros. Hasta la próxima. Thank you.